0: Today, it is a Rob observations double feature. We have a double bill featuring lone wolves and cubs. You have seen this pairing. You are seeing it all the time. You are seeing it on Mandalorian. You are seeing it on The Last of Us. You have seen it in The Road to Perdition. It is grizzled enforcer, soldier, bounty hunter paired with the young wart. And, and, and they will protect them at all costs. This is a ridiculously popular trope. And we're going to get down to the origins of it, 1970s Lone Wolf and Cub. We are going to talk about it today and get you familiarized with the brilliant creators and, and the work that launched all of this. And then on the second part of our double bill, more comic book feuds. Barry Windsor Smith is back and he has more words to say and more bones to pick. And he's going to do it on an all new edition of Rob Observations. Hey everybody! Welcome to another edition of Rob's Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I have been making the comic books for 37 years, going on 38 years. I have been talking into this mic, doing this podcast for three years now. Both give me tremendous joy, tremendous delight because I get to participate in the discussion, the creation, the manufacturing, the 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 production, the the, uh, the the printing. The distribution of comic books, comic book material, pop culture characters that have now become worldwide icons. I talk about it at the top of every show. I'm still stunned. I can't believe that that we are living in a world where there are not one, not two, but three Ant-Man films. Okay, don't even get me started. Like Ant-Man, who really couldn't sell comic books, who really was not a top 10, top 15, top 20 comic book character. Has now been at the at the center of three hundred million plus budgeted movies and 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 probably has a cumulative uh, earnings worldwide of over a billion dollars. This is the reflection of the age that we live in, and it's what I love to talk about because I've been jamming to comic books since nineteen seventy four. Seven year old Robbie Liefeld, these were my go to uh, gateway drug, getaway drug. Uh, it, it, it was the way that I entered kind of this world. And and I've never let go. And I love talking about it. We we we've spent time, especially my, my first year. We walked through my own relationship, pulling comic books off the spinner racks of my youth at the liquor store, the Seven Eleven, the 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 grocery store. Um, I, I even even the you know eating them at the Pizza Hut with my greasy fingers. Comic books were my everything. The great news is they still are my everything. And I love sharing this podcast and this experience and talking with all of you about. All the different, all the different ways that the comic book world continues to expand and evolve. Today, we're going to uh, jump in with two topics. Hopefully, I can, I can, I can tackle this. Uh, topic number one is about a very, very popular. Uh, I, I love that word trope. It's easy to say. It's become really popular in the vernacular, but it, it is one of, if not the most popular trope currently uh, emanating through all of this material over the last decade and it all belongs uh you know all credit due to one powerful comic book illustrator and creator and and that's the one thing that if 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 you've learned anything hanging with me i love to give the credit where the credit is due i have always worn my uh influences on my sleeve as a writer and a uh artist creator producer and i was inspired by watching All the artists that I loved growing up, not just comic book artists, but film, filmmakers, musicians, you know, Michael Jackson talking about, you know, the, the influence of, of, of Stevie Wonder or Barry White or, or just, you know, all all the different tunes that, 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 that he was jamming to that wanted him, you know, wanted to, to inspire him to make his own music, you know, uh, listening to, 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 to Prince talk about all his, uh, his, his various influences down to Jimi hendrix you know people forget not only could prince sing and, and make produce great great pop tunes great R B, the guy could shred on the guitar so he would talk about Jimi hendrix i love talking about uh people's influences because we are all always influenced uh george lucas talking about world war ii films steven spielberg talking about the profound influence of Al- alfred hitchcock on his entire film library, and you can still see the Alfred Hitchcock in uh, in, in Steven Spielberg. And, and you know what? And if you're listening to this, and you've never heard of Alfred Hitchcock, good. I'm glad you heard of him today. Um, maybe go look and, and 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 watch one of his amazing amazing films. Okay, watch The Birds, watch Vertigo, watch the original Psycho. That there is um, North by Northwest. There is a, an, an incredible film catalog for you to um, to plunder, to absolutely plunder. I love. When people talk about their influences. But one thing, and here, so, so, so now that you know that I've always loved watching, uh, you know, other artists talk about the artists that influenced them. And again, with George Lucas and Star Wars, it went beyond, you know, the World War two footage and, and his obsession with, with, um, you know, aerial, aerial fights and, and, and the different dog fights that, that, that the, that, that the World War two planes, were engaged in and then, and then showing the footage that he used to match X Wings fi- fighting TIE fighters. I mean, there it is. It's, it's right there. It's been there like since my, my youth. He has been very, um, bold because I think he wants to talk to you about what inspired him to do what he loved that you eventually loved yourself. In, in, uh, within Star Wars also, there is, uh, you know, a, a lot of Eastern influence, Hidden Fortress um, which, which has a princess and two servants. I mean, he, he really wears it all, wears it all on his sleeve. Nowadays, I, I am, uh, finding with great, with increasing, uh, just regularity, but with great routine, all of these words apply to the practice of people denying influence. They, they don't like to talk about it's as if there's a button that they push and, and come on, man, that's what, that's what corporations do. They want you to look the other way and think that in a closet, there's a button and they boom, they, they, a new comic book hero villain comes out and, and this is all the big corpse. I understand because I always see both sides of everything that the corporation and their lawyers and, and, and the, you know, the big, the big corporate dogs want to protect and make sure that, you know. Everything's buttoned up, and that nobody has a way into any sort of ownership clause. And in, in, in the in the instance of the early Marvel universe, there's there's no concern of that anymore because, as I shared my wife, as I shared to you now, as I've, 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 I've uh, explained some in, in different podcasts. So forgive me if you're hearing this again. But uh, when when my wife and I would go see uh, one of the new marvel films often we were fortunate to be attending one of the maybe the premieres and again we would wander inside we'd sit down she'd lean over before ant-man or before black panther and say so 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 who created this and i'd say we're we're still in you know jack kirby stan lee territory babe like on both these films and then i'd tell her you know black panther appeared in fantastic four wakanda all of this stuff all the groundwork was laid here so, so, you know, we're still, we're still there. Oh, okay. Okay. Then, then she'd ask later, you know, well, well, well what about this one? No, 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 no. Th- these are still characters, you know, we're watching, we're watching Thor Ragnarok. Th- these are, we're still in, you know, we haven't left Jack and Stan world. So, you know, there's a cur- curiosity as, as to who is creating what, when, where, how, why, at least, at least for a lot of people who want to, um, you know, uh, uh, know like who were the faces behind this, but then inevitably, it also leads to, um, babe, referring to my wife, Joy, honey, uh, they're dead. Uh most all of these people uh are are no longer with us. The earliest uh titans of of the the, the silver age, Steve Ditko has passed, Stan Lee has passed, Jack, Jack Kirby has passed, right there that covers like three quarters of the Marvel universe that you know and love. Um, is it a shame that we don't say their names more often we don't see their names more prominently. Uh yes, but but that's what guys like me are here for, to tell you about it and to point you in that direction. Uh creator ownership and creating something is very special. I uh, I uh, one of the uh key figures behind the creation of Venom David Michelinie has written something about him wanting to be called the originator because he he basically says everyone's jumping on this creator thing and I'm telling you it originated on my typewriter when I, you know, typed out eddie brock and venom and described what i would then pass off to todd who would then draw that issue uh again in 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 my case i'm writing and drawing new mutants 98 so i'm telling myself what to uh to draw in regards to the 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 story the plot and and then i'm passing it along to have the dialogue completed so in 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 somebody like my case or like a frank miller's case uh, where he's actually doing all the dialogue he's just telling himself what to draw and, and 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 then there's other instances like Venom's the best one where a writer is handing off to an artist. But again, it's it's good to know these names. The reason I'm bringing this up is my obsession with Planet of the Apes. How does this all tie in together about what what, what we're about to talk about in terms of this trope and me getting to the author? Planet of the Apes was Star Wars before Star Wars for anybody my age, uh, kids of the late late 60s, mostly early 70s, which is when Planet of the Apes got shown on television routinely you guys okay during the course of this uh podcast and literally during the course of 2023 there have been three consecutive weekends as of this moment i am we are basically two months into the new year three times in the last five weeks uh there have been three separate weekends where the planet of the apes movies were shown in a marathon uh the sand the sundance channel put one week between them but they had uh, three weeks ago. It was all the Planet of the Apes movies. Then this past weekend, as I'm recording, this was all the Planet of the Apes movies again. To my delight, because when I draw, I love having stuff that I've already listened to on the screen as I'm drawing, and I'm drawing every day. So, man, if there's something that I have a familiar that I'm familiar with that I don't have to keep looking up and watching and developing, that I can just rely on my own memory while I hear it, it's 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 a it's a form of comfort. Some of you guys, you know, when you're being creative, you're listening to music. You're listening to maybe podcasts. I like to have familiar things, old cop shows, westerns, and Planet of the Apes. Well, prior to Sundance, the week prior to that, there's a channel just called Movies. It's called Movies. Not the movie channel, not TMC. It's just called Movies. And Movies had all the Planet of the Apes movies as well. So I went and got all my books that I've collected over the the year, uh, the authors that have written about the making of and the challenges behind Producing all the Planet of the Apes materials, whether it was the movies, the TV shows, the cartoons. Uh, And I'm talking about like the 70s stuff because in the 70s you did complete the film, the first five films. You then got it on TV on CBS and then you got a cartoon on CBS. And then you had manufacturing. I mean, you had licensing, you had toys, you had lunch pails, you had notebooks, you had shirts, everything. Go Ape was a big movement. Again, Star Wars before Star Wars. Uh, Planet of the Apes walked so Star Wars could sprint because they saw the licensing, the sheer amount of licensing. The licensing is what kept Planet of the Apes going. It's why they made a cartoon, because they were no longer making movies and the live-action TV show only lasted one year and they wanted to keep that uh, faucet you know, pouring out because it was pouring out nothing but straight, long greens for everybody involved. But while I was reading about the Planet of the Apes, it talked about the original author. And I remember, being, again, back as a kid, re- seeing all these movies, Monday through Friday, Go Ape, Ape Week, which was twice yearly. They'd show them all. I've talked about it often. Kids my age would run home after school. Monday, I mean, perfect. Five movies, five days in the week, three o'clock, 3.30, boom, over by five, 5.30, I mean, you consumed "Go Ape" this week. "Go Ape" beneath the Planet of the Apes Tuesday. Escape from the Planet of the Apes Wednesday. I mean, this was this was the nectar, baby. We we were all about the Planet of the Apes. Well, then I'd go to the bookstore and I'd wander around while my mom was shopping in the mall, and I saw the Planet of the Apes, you know, novel adaptation. I popped it open. I flipped it through. I looked at it. And I'm like Pierre Bull. Now maybe may Pierre Bole. So uh, it, it, forgive me if I am mispronouncing, but either Pierre Boulle or Pierre Boulet, but let's just call him Pierre. Pierre conceived of uh, Planet of the Apes. I uh, believe he wrote The Bridge Over the River Kwai. That was his first claim to fame, uh, his book that got made into a big movie. Forgive me if I just completely buff that. But he also wrote Planet of the Apes. So yes, I am absolutely correct. He he wrote the bridge over the River Kwai. So I'm I'm, I'm not completely um, quacking up today. So uh, the uh, he he clearly had you know a, a very very successful uh, you know career as an author, and his works were being adapted, and he was you know increasingly uh, in demand, and because of the success that he'd had, and and because of he talks about his inspirations for *Planet of the Apes*, he wrote this novel. Now, the movie with Charlton Heston reflects a great deal of the novel, but it is it also departs. Uh, you know, the the, the the movie the 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 apes living in like huts in a more kind of primitive primitive existence. They had cities and and more technologically advanced uh, a, a more technologically advanced existence in the actual book by Pierre Boulet or Bol, sorry again I guess I just got to call him Pierre and uh, the adaptation uh, the, the guy's name wasn't Taylor but the Charlton Heston character is much more aggressive there's much more action uh, and again to be able to deliver on a budget they had to scale down the actual place where the apes lived I, I've always thought it was the right direction if you compare the two I, th- I think the choices that they made making them more primitive in these kind of adobe huts Uh, was the right way to go. But a lot of the sequences in the book did find their way into the movie. But bottom line, it then, uh, to everyone's surprise, became a giant hit. Planet of the Apes made a ton of money and and obviously spawned all these sequels. But uh, Pierre Boulet, Pierre Boll, was frustrated that after the first film, everyone associated the movie with Charlton Heston and the filmmakers and his name had been forgotten he didn't want anything to do with the film adaptation when he heard what they were doing with it but he did submit an idea for the sequel in an attempt to kind of you know jump on board and kind of regain some of the 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 spotlight that had been lost in this film adaptation now of course it's on it's in the credit but you know you could be looking down grabbing your pap- popcorn and shoving it into your mouth and miss you know based on a novel by Pierre okay so Pierre was uh, frustrated that through all of this, his name was not known and or celebrated. And I'm going to tell you, until I had seen the the, the books in the store and and cracked it and and read through some of it, finding, wow, there's parts of this book that are really different than the the movies that I love. But nonetheless, I realized that there's this author who this originated from, and he really, Dr. Zaius and and, and Zira and all of these important characters and concepts did come from him. And and yet he was always uh, remiss that his name was not more associated with the product with, with with the product. So again, this goes beyond Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and so many of the names that we talk about. This is kind of the plight of the artist to to get our names out there. Now again, with with the advent of social media, we can talk about it. And guess what? Podcast is, is a form of social media, um, especially promoting it. And so here I am to talk about this incredible trope today, which I've spent, you know, quite 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 some time building up but it is really popular it, it, right now and 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 if you've seen the last of us if you've seen the mandalorian uh you know if 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 you saw one of my, one of my absolute favorites that, that nobody knows of but I I think this fits the trope too in 2008 Vin Diesel did a movie it's called Babylon AD it's a sci-fi movie he is escorting a, a woman who who everyone has kind of plans plans for but the idea when you get into the older, grizzled, uh, you know, warrior agent, uh, you know, uh, protector, and they are going to escort a, a, a younger uh, person, younger, you know, a woman, a a, a a boy, a girl. You are in lone wolf and cub territory, and if you've never heard of lone wolf and cub, then then today is your day. Lone Wolf and Cub was manga. Uh, it was uh, a Japanese comic book that was introduced in 1970. So you bet that it outdates all this stuff. And again, if you go and you try and source it, you'll you'll get all this this material. And I'm going to tell t- tell you how we all, my generation, was introduced to Lone Wolf and Cub. But uh, the, uh, the the <clears> the <throat> Lone Wolf and Cub was uh, created by writer Kazuo. Koiki and artist Goseki Kojima and uh, it was first introduced and published in 1970 so Kazuo uh, and Goseki were th- that's their first names uh, created this uh, story of this basically the quick version is there's a swordsman proud warrior who is disgraced by some false accusations and uh not only is he disgraced but his family is slaughtered his wife is killed you know it's the the classic they're trying to wipe this guy out they've set him up and he's now disgraced but he uh his his young son who he has survived but you know is 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 they they don't kill his young son, but they slaughter his wife. The two of them take it on the run, and he lives the life of an assassin. And ironically, this small boy is integral in into uh, in in in, in uh, driving the story, driving the journey. In his interaction, they are known as Lone Wolf and Cub. And when you see the uh, lone warrior. Uh, like mandalorian and the young uh child like grogu who we all called baby yoda for a really long time and and or and or the child and now grogu you are looking at an embodiment of what started with lone Wolf and cub um again the two characters are foils for each other throughout the entirety of i believe 40 plus 45 maybe uh plus adventures and again comic books this this manga wasn't just Seventeen pages and out, twenty-two pages and out. These are thick uh, volumes, and and so so that this was a proud, uh, a very proud, you know, series of, of of graphic adventures. Shortly after, within a year of this uh, being released, they were approached to make films, and 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 so the Lone Wolf and Cub books were were immediately translated into into films because the material just went over so so huge with uh with people who are interacting it uh, interacting with it uh all all told all told uh lone wolf and cub have have sold over 12 million probably by now 14 million worldwide it is one of the most highly regarded mangas ever and you'll see why when you crack the pages um you know uh yamada uh some of the characters in Lone Wolf and Cub have become extremely memorable and/or uh, influential in in uh, in how the lone warrior shogun, uh, you know, Ronin samurai, Frank Miller, who who is integral in introducing my generation to Lone Wolf and Cub, and I'll get to that in a second. But Frank Miller's follow up to Daredevil, which I have praised early, often. uh, He went over to DC and he did a book called Ronin. And Ronin takes place in the future. It's kind of a cyberpunk version of all of the Eastern manga that Frank had been taking in, Lone Wolf and Club included, and the European work that he was consumed by, the works of Mobius. Uh, That stuff really made a mark. And when you're looking at Ronin, you are seeing like Mobius meets manga via the brush and quill and pen of one frank miller but uh the 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 stars of lone wolf and cub <laughs> i i just call them the ogamis but uh itao and daigoro o- ogami are your lone wolf and cub and again ogami is the the proud warrior swordsman who is disgraced and finds his uh you know uh, I guess I guess you would call him a formidable swordsman, a formidable uh, warrior who is disgraced. And uh, <clears throat> again, they, they they humiliate him, endanger his life, and uh, they 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 murder his 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 wife. And his son stays alive. And if you think that you haven't seen this influence in the Mandalorian and in the the, the when 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 they appeared, both Mandalorian and Grogu appeared in the book of Boba Fett. There is even a choice early on where the son, he decides, I'll kill myself and my son if he fails this test, and he has his son uh, choose, you know, either the sword. I'll call him uh, Father Ogami. Father Ogami basically has his one-year-old choose a ball or a sword. He has a choice. Pick one, pick the other, and that will determine your fate. Now, the son crawls over to the hilt of the sword, and and based on that, uh, Ogami, our, our lone wolf, decides that he will uh, <clears throat> choose the path of the ronin and will not kill himself and his son. They will fight free and they will, you know, begin this wandering. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Lone Wolf and Cub, each and every episode, is like the Mandalorian, which I've described here on, on, the, on the air before as as, as the fact that, uh, you know, everybody behind, you know, the Mandalorian, including John Favreau. It's clear that they were watching westerns just the same way as I was. Uh, 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 an episode of Gunsmoke, uh, Rawhide, Big Valley, Alias Smith and Jones—they're always the same in terms of either the uh, the gunman, the gunslinger rides into town, helps the uh, the widow who, who's who's uh, they're about to take her land. You know the the, the evil robber baron, and now our gunslinger uh, headliner is going to help her, or maybe some week. Uh, that that person is on a stagecoach. It gets robbed. They're held hostage with with a with a bunch of other uh people, and and they have to figure out how to get how to get out of this this hostage situation. Uh, others are you know we, we're, we're gonna um you know we need money. We're, we're out of money. We're gonna gamble. We're gonna go in. We're gonna we're gonna try and play the house against it's, it itself. All of these things. Or in the Mandalorian's case, we're gonna go into the town. We're gonna help defeat the monster, the beast. You know these are. Uh, classic tropes of the gunslinger, as portrayed in all the westerns. Well, this was happening in 1970 in Lone Wolf and Cub. I also told you that years ago in Fist of North Star, the manga Fist of North Star, Eric Larson would say to me at at, the, at WonderCon in Oakland, I think it was like 1988, 89. He's like, "No, this is a great book." Every every his 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 pitch to me was, "You should buy this because North Star is basically walking down the road and every." you know 10 20 feet he encounters a new guy who wants to kill him and they have this epic 20 30 page fight and then he moves on and then meets somebody else who wants to kill him and that i felt that was the really the most succinct pitch of north stark is that reading it it is like out on the barren deserts out on the you know what seemingly is an apocalyptic landscape well now change that into feudal japan put it lone wolf and cub and he is wandering with his son and they go town to town and they encounter different adventures meet different women men who need their help their assistance or perhaps are are integral in hiding them from the people who are hunting them but the entire idea of the traditionally the man uh who who again <laughs> Pedro Pascal has uh hit Pater in 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 playing two of these men in in both uh, the last of us and in the mandalorian the the Grizzled, uh, veteran, warrior, who soldier, soldier of fortune, bounty hunter, whatever, who is protecting the young uh, you know, the young prize, the young uh bounty. Uh he, he offering safe passage, offering protection, whatever, whatever it is. Again, Frank Miller in Ronin 2, which he's putting out right now, is returning to the lone wolf and cub trope. Because in Ronin 2, he is actually enacting this with a woman and the small child. So he is revisiting his love of Lone Wolf and Cub. And clearly, I think Frank looks around and said, is no one going to do this? Like, this is really obvious. It's, it's blowing up in The Last of Us. It's blowing up in The Mandalorian. Frank knows where this comes from. So now he's giving it to you from a female perspective. And again, it's not the first time. Uh, like I said, Babylon AD, Vin, uh, Vin Diesel. Let me tell you something. My ride or die for movies for a decade, and he knows this is Marat Michaels. Marat Michaels lived here in Orange County uh, in the mid 2000s, and we would see movies every Friday, come what may, whatever they were, and we were chomping at the bit. In that uh, it was early 2008, if if memory serves, or maybe it was fall. They they were either January, February, or September, October. Were kind of the lower budget, non-blockbuster, but cool kind of attempts at sci-fi were coming out, and Marat and I parked it at Cinema City. Boom, you know, middle of theater decent amount of people on the first day and we watched our Vin Diesel Babylon AD which fulfills again the lone wolf and cub kind of embodiment but when you see that please know that you are seeing an acknowledgement whether it is purposeful or not but that trope was made famous most successful by Kazuo Koiki and Goseki Kojima. These two guys are badass visionaries. Now how I came to know Lone Wolf and Cub was so Frank Miller happens he blows up everybody. Can everybody in the know? Teenagers and above know that when he does Ronin for DC, that you you already see it in Daredevil. You see his 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 obsession with ninjas and Ronins and assassins and shoguns, and also in in his you know Wolverine work. The miniseries that he does, Chris Claremont also takes place in Japan also deals with this idea of of Ronins and shoguns and assassins. It's it's really something that he is thematically uh powerfully associated with. Well, he does this Ronan series as his follow-up upon leaving Marvel for DC Comics. Ronan, I have, I'm looking at the giant uh artist edition uh that, that is on my bookshelf. I have every possible edition of Ronan. I I it is as celebrated in my mind, maybe more so than even Frank Miller's Dark Knight, but it is not anywhere near as well known. But the work that he was doing on that, the storytelling, I've I've openly uh taken from this book. It's so inspirational. And did it in the way that I thought everyone, duh, was obvious would know. Again, I'm literally selling millions of comics. I'm a known quantity. Frank Miller is a known quantity. It is known that I am worshiping him. When I took this Ronin spread and obviously put it in a New Mutants 100, it was like, no one's hiding this. I am making this overtly obvious as as I think some of the best kind of swipes and homages are meant to do is to say, hey, I got you. In music we celebrate it. They take a track from somebody else and they make a dance, you know, they take every breath you take and and, and, and and P. Diddy makes it an ode to his his fallen buddy, uh Biggie. Everybody, you know, gets in on the act, Sting comes out on the MTV music awards and sings along with it. Like he condones it. Now I don't know what kind of payments are going back and forth there, but we love sampling homaging swiping in our music but in comics there is an element that comes in and tries to shame you I've never been here for that the guys I grew up with Frank Miller homage swiped Gil Kane among others Steranko uh George Perez Kirby uh John Buscema uh I'm sorry John John Byrne swiped Kirby everyone was aping Kirby Rich Buckler Kirby uh all these guys and so when we did it, my generation, but my generation now, we had computer age. So people could take a snippet and then put it on a message board and say, oh, this is shameful. But bottom line, I leaned all the way into Ronin. I think it's brilliant work. If you can't, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. It is again, this perfect blend of European influence that Frank used to flex and expand and Eastern manga influence. And uh, now he is again doing it in Ronin two, but after all this hits, and after then Dark Knight hits in 1986, in, in I believe 87, 88, a independent company that's long been out of business. They went out of business in 1991. Uh, they got the rights. Their name is First Comics. They got the rights to reprint the Lone Wolf and Cub manga. And they hired uh, none other than the brilliant Frank Miller to do all the covers. And Frank worked with Lynn Varley, who had colored all of his seminal dark Knight work and they created these brilliant series of covers and uh and and people especially in the states we clamor to them they, they released them also in the uh what was called at the time perfect bound format but everyone called it the dark Knight format because dark Knight popularized it and then everyone thought well that format is the way to go that's what people want it wasn't it's what's between the glue because those weren't stapled Uh, The perfect format were glued. They were more square bound. They were at least 48, 50 pages um, in order to pull that off. But uh, First Comics got the rights in 1987. They hired Frank Miller to do the first round of covers. And they are memorable. If you look them up, you will see incredible images. Uh, Frank was the perfect guy to do this, to bring this work to the mainstream in North America. Uh, Unfortunately, First Comics went out of business and wasn't able to complete the... uh, Reprinting the series, I think they only did like about a third of this. But then Dark Horse steps in, and Dark Horse does them in like these little fat, uh, really chunky uh, uh, mini pocket books. And I got all those too. And 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 Frank eventually they reuse some of the Frank Miller art, but then they got people like Bill Skenevitch, Matt Wagner to do this. But bottom line, many of the episodes of Mandalorian are imitative of the Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, as uh, as when I see The Last of Us again, Pedro Pascal is the uh, most popular uh, embodiment of <laughs> of 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 lone wolf and cub, but yeah, like I said, uh, you know the uh, in, in regards to lone wolf and cub as a as a uh, as a film, there are six total lone wolf and cub films, and again, right in uh, 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 right after a year into the book existing, the filmmakers over in Japan came. Uh, the first three films are directed by a man named Kenji Musimi and they were released starting in 1972 and you got them 72, 73, 74 and, uh, and then they would continue to do to give you uh, three more running through the 80s 72, 70 uh, yeah, these are all uh, in, in 1980 you got your last one Shogun Assassin but uh, there have been updates since, there was one in, in 1993 The uh, but, but the uh, original films have been screened sometimes, sometimes here in the States, so you can catch them. But again, really great embodiment of that exact, you know, exact notion uh, with, with with the Lone Wolf and Cub. So when people talk about the Lone Wolf and Cub formula, a formula that we are, you know, currently clamoring for, we can't get enough of the Mandalorian. We can't get enough of the Last of Us. And it is exactly this formula, this, uh, you know, grizzled veteran, soldier, bounty hunter, warrior. Who then escorts? In this case, his son. Uh, but in others, you know, his young, uh, his young, you know, page. His his his, his young uh, prize, as I call it. Uh, and 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 in doing so, you are watching the embodiment of this very popular, very successful trope. Now now before you say hey so Batman and Robin is like Lone Wolf and Cub no the the idea of the the young ward being escorted by the grizzled veteran warrior soldier is that they're going on a journey a journey of survival so so Batman and Robin patrolling Gotham City is not in fact uh the same idea it is literally like in The Last of Us he's got to escort this girl basically all the way across the United States of America in this time of this terrible um you know pandemic and 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 in uh, in the Mandalorian, he's protecting Grogu from everybody who's after him and trying to exploit him. The evil scientist, the Empire, everybody. Uh, again, the choice that Grogu has to make whether he's going to be a Jedi or not is is literally right after choose the ball, choose the sword that he uses for his own son in order for them basically to make the decision: will we go on the run or will we end our lives right now? And 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 so this whole the idea that the the, the young ward would make the choice. Is really reflective of the influence. Now, there is a movie that I cannot recommend more highly as we wrap up this, because it it embodied this trope, perhaps the best. And it is the uh it is the trope, uh it 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 is the the story, again adapted from a graphic novel. You probably saw it. It was a fantastic movie featuring Tom Hanks and Paul Newman. It was called Road to Perdition. Now, the author of that work, Max Allen Collins was very open when he first came forth with it. Cause that takes place in like roaring twenties, thirties gangster period. I don't have the exact year, but uh, Tom Hanks is a gangster an assassin for the mafia boss, the crime Lord, who is Paul, Paul Newman, who uh, Daniel Craig is in it as well. It's, it's great. Um, before the ears get get pinned back, he's a very different looking Daniel Craig. It's interesting to go back and see these early iterations of these um, stars before they hit it big and some of the alterations that they make to themselves. The uh, Tom Hanks is playing the uh, basically the heavy the 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 enforcer for Paul Newman, and he is in fact betrayed by Paul Newman, who then uh, takes a contract down on him and his son, trying to kill them. And the entire movie is. Uh, a really great cat and mouse of Tom Hanks trying to outlast all of the assassins who are trying to kill him and wipe him out because he also takes some, some valuable assets away from Paul Newman. Again, I don't want to give too much away. The graphic novel, Road to Perdition, is fantastic. And the film, Road to Perdition, is an even heightened uh, uh, experience. I mean, it's really great it is a um fantastic fantastic film if forever for whatever reasons you have not uh seen the road to perdition uh the the road to to perdition movie um man i i just cannot more highly recommend it. sam mendes who went on to actually direct a james bond film uh directed road to perdition and it is uh it is it is something to behold. It is a brilliant uh just very tense. Again, you'll see all of the uh you, you'll, you'll see all of the lone wolf and cub again, how the the lone wolf will absolutely stop at nothing to defend his young cub. And uh and, and they refer to themselves in Lone Wolf and Cub in case you, I didn't cover it already. I think I did, but I'm gonna emphasize again, they refer to themselves as Lone Wolf and Cub. Uh but uh Road to Perdition, the actual uh, book max allen collins again will will tell you in his influences that he based it on the work of kazuo koiki and goseki kojima um and uh i mean again i dig that he just wears it on his sleeve like you know it, it's it, it's exactly you know it's the gangster version of what you're getting in Mandalorian, the apocalyptic version that you're getting in last of us anyway the entire purpose of all of this was to just focus you on, on realizing that when you, when you are watching on Sunday nights on HBO, Last of Us, and you are seeing this guy protect this girl as they are crossing the landscape, you know, the, the, this, this, you know, terrifying terrain and trying to get to safety, that you were watching an embodiment of something that was started in 1970 in Japan by two brilliant creators and this is the product of Lone Wolf and Cub. The Mandalorian leans all the way into it. The Road to Perdition leaned all the way into it. Babylon AD leans all the way into it. Frank Miller's new Ronin series, which now, again, has substituted the woman uh, for the protector of her small child, but even, and it's a brilliant book, Frank Miller is doing amazing layouts. Philip Tan is doing amazing finishes. His anchor, Daniel Henriquez, is is doing beautiful work. Uh, There's only been two issues so far, but it's brilliant. But again, it is embodying in, in, in a sci-fi fantasy way, but it is embodying this very powerful trope. It is clearly a winner with audiences, both in publication and in film, which is why so many people have looked to replicate it. And of course, when Mark Hamill stepped in and took over Grogu for a while, he then fulfilled that role of lone wolf with Grogu as the cub. Anyway, let's give credit where credit is due. You are seeing uh, one of the most popular tropes ever play out now <laughs> for the next at least couple of weeks. You're seeing Pedro Pascal be be uh, one guy, one version of this on on Sundays, and one version of this on Wednesdays when the Mandalorian is out. So I think just just on that basis alone, and again thinking of poor Pierre of the Planet of the Apes, and truly I did my heart went out to him when I read that passage that he had felt that the his influence on pa- Planet of the Apes was overlooked in, when in fact he had created it. So here is to the creators of uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, all they have accomplished, all they have influenced, the influences. Uh, those, those are some pretty big people when you think about it uh, along the way along the lines the lone Wolf and Cubs uh, influence has extended all the way into the Star Wars universe it has um, been been featured uh, and influenced a movie starring Tom Hanks and Paul Newman it is the the basis of this incredibly popular video game and now HBO series and Vin Diesel has even taken his his run at it so uh, and, and none and none other than Frank Miller and those very potent covers that he was doing in the in, in the 80s put lone wolf and and cub on the map via first comics in North America with comic fans like me who encountered it, who bought it for the first time. And, and, and and that's when I came to know this material and it has been an absolute pleasure sharing that with you today. I hope you can seek out lone wolf and cub. They're in bookstores. They're in your um, Barnes and Nobles. You can get them on Amazon. They're extremely well illustrated, extremely. uh, If you like graphic fantasy, graphic violence, um, there, there, there's some, some good humor. uh, the the cub is always good uh for for some good humor the ogamis are very entertaining in uh how efficient they are in overcoming each and every obstacle so check that out and tell them rob sent you so you you are all such a great audience and, and the feedback that i get from you across all the different social medias is just invaluable and i cannot tell you how much uh I truly do appreciate it and I hear you and I hear you loud and clear and the best thing that you deliver is when you ramp up your attention and give unbelievable numbers because you love them the most is our comic book feud series. So we're going to do a mini version of the comic book feuds today by revisiting easily the most popular feuder ever and that is Mr. Barry Windsor Smith. We 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 shared with you a 1997 Barry Windsor Smith interview at the top of this past year at the top of what we call season 5. And uh and you guys just ate it up because um, Barry is everything we love. He uh, like we we love to 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 chase in, in regards to interviews or interview subjects. Um, we, look, I've always been really fascinated with it's an athlete, an actor, uh, an actor, the the uh, just the sheer amount of smug, the sheer amount of arrogance. And, and Barry never fails to deliver. He puts it on. He's such a quagmire because as you know and he even addresses in this interview that he started out as a Jack Kirby clone as I've told you and I'm going to tell you right now he is a clumsy Jack Kirby clone it, it, it the pieces didn't always work the parts didn't always I think the smugness comes that when he finally put it together it was like yeah I've left that behind I'm no longer that Jack Kirby clone boy but um he he just has an arrogance with him that he just cannot shake and it is in it, it 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 embodies each and every interview that he gives and so Today, I'm going to share a 1993 Wizard Magazine interview. Uh, he was doing a book called Rune at the time. He was preparing to launch Rune. Rune was a vampire, an immortal vampire, uh, and he l- launched it under the um, Malibu Ultra- Ultraverse label. He did not own this. He, he the, the, At least the interviewer is quick to Confront this early on. So let let me jump right in, Barry Windsor Smith. And the most interesting thing about all this is we're going to get to him speaking of Weapon X, which is the seminal work that he did. But when he talks about (laughs) when he talks about Marvel Comics Presents, he does not hold back. Again, unloads the haymakers, which is incredibly entertaining, and I can't wait to share it with you. So here we're going to journey into this 1993 Wizard magazine. Wizard, I, I believe this is Wizard 28 uh uh if if i am if i am not mistaken it is in fact wizard uh number 28 and it's it's Barry Windsor Smith on Marvel Valiant and the move to ultraverse the road to ruin you know very 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 clever uh because the book the vampire book is called Ruin they open up saying hey how did you link up with Malibu for your Ruin Ultraverse project They said when you left Valiant you were in a position where you could pretty much write your own ticket. I imagine that you were courted by several Publishers. And and uh the great thing is the picture that (laughs) accompanies this. He's very sour and dour, like he's got all these lemon drops on the other side of his mouth. He's he is looking sour and 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 uh, appropriately pissy and with a sweet mullet. And he says, uh, everybody and sundry. That's his answer when they say you are being courted. Everybody and sundry. I love the sundry, it really knocks knocks home the uh drives home the Britishness of it all. Again, these are his words. I'm gonna read you his words exactly he's i'm still being courted as a matter of fact yeah i talked with everybody i was getting calls from todd mcfarlane being the crazy guy he is Ah, forget all the other uh, you know this 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 uh, he's talking he's gonna imitate todd i'm gonna actually do it as Todd. oh forget all the other guys just come over here to image everything is gonna be fine and in fact i was planning to do something with todd but i could never quite figure out what to do i was talking with jim lee and all sorts of other people i was talking with everybody but in the case of malibu or the Ultraverse more specifically, they made me a very good offer. See, one of the situations here is that I have said many times, especially just as I was quitting Valiant, I'd never work for, work for hire again. I absolutely loathe the fact that the stuff I create is not mine in any way whatsoever. Now, for the purpose of the feud, I am no longer, those were Barry ones Smith's words. Let me now interpret ultraverse agreed to pay me the most money okay barry was rep by an attorney who um liked to get his guys big paydays why wouldn't he uh I, presumably he probably got a, a cut of that i, I i'm presuming i don't i do not know that um but he wanted to keep his clients happy so maybe he just got them the best possible deal so that he would be able to you know charge his lawyer fee as representative but the bottom line is uh, it says, in case of Malibu or Ultraverse, they made me a very good offer. The offer was not, "Hey Barry, you can draw on paper," because he could draw on paper anywhere he went. It wasn't, "Hey Barry, you can use India ink," because he was going to use that no, no matter where he went. It wasn't, "Hey Barry, we're going to print this on paper um, and, and distribute it," because that's everywhere he went. This very good offer is they paid me the most money. They showed me the money. Imagine Tom Cruise, you know, repeating uh, in, in, into the phone, screaming, "You know, show me the money!" And 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 we've got that situation. And then he says, see, one of the situations here is that I have just, I've said, especially as I was quitting Valiant, that I'd never work for work for hire basis again. I absolutely loathe the fact that the stuff that I create is not mine in any way whatsoever. Now, I don't have to say anything because the interviewer then says, and here you are doing work for hire for Ultraverse. (laughs) And he says, for me, it's a temporary situation. This is a three book miniseries sort of thing. And that's as far as my commitment goes. That doesn't mean I won't continue with Malibu. But it's all negotiable. I like the Ultraverse editor, Chris Ohm a lot. We get along very well, but it doesn't mean I'll be working with Malibu for the rest of my life. Right now, I'm actually having fun. So he, he's being paid exactly what he had hoped, and he's in and he's out, and he's in and he's out. That's his, that's his counter to, I loathe that I don't create anything, but here I am creating something I don't own again, but man, they're paying me good, and man, it's a quick job. Okay, that's what this is. The, 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 these are, I am here to interpret. It says the, <laughs> it gets better the interviewer says the interview had good notes he went into this prepared the character rune was originally created and conceived by ultraverse editor chris Olm, the guy that he just said he liked working with so the, the, the question is the character rune was originally conceived and by ultraverse editor chris Olm, right yes as sort of a background character for a book that was to be called fusion i'm going to go in and out of my kind of britishy because barry's british um which was an entirely different storyline I was going through all of his notes. It seemed to be more sensible to play up the character of Rune, who is an ancient and human vampire. So I sort of took the whole thing over, as is my want. And Chris was accommodating. So his answer was, uh, yeah, it was created by somebody else, but come on, man. You know, this is no different than me doing Wolverine. It's somebody else's character, and I'm just putting my own spin on it, okay? He says, uh, the, the interview says, I saw the poster of Rune. He's the antithesis of sexy vampire, isn't he? Not exactly Christopher Lee, no. It's sort of hard to talk about Rune because he is changing all the time. I will, um, uh, people will do sketches to get an idea of what a character will look like, or somebody will write scenarios or dialogue to get the feel of the character. But what um, what's happening here is I'm drawing this book in three-page increments as a backup feature for other books, because that's how it's going to be launched. I find that each finished work that I do is in census, is in a sense a sketch. It's like testing the waters to see what this rune guy is all about. I'm, I'm having an investigative process. And then he asked him to go further into Rune, and I'm not that interested in telling you that Rune, visually look him up, that's, you know, he's a vampire. And this was an age, like, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula had come out, had done very well at the box office, vampires were always extremely um, popular, well-received, and here's the cool thing, an art dealer named Albert Moy had purchased the entire interiors, uh, interestingly enough, to Rune Conan. They got the rights to do this in the mid '90s, and and because Barry was so identified with Conan, having done the first twenty plus issues, that uh, and and because he was so associated with 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 Rune and Marvel had bought Ultraverse, and this is right before they threw Ultraverse right down the deepest well possible, and then sealed it shut with with a giant locked door gate, whatever, because those characters have not been since have not been seen since but albert moy in new york comic-con had purchased the entirety of the rune conan book uh that was featured in the recent heritage auction so just in in october he had it and i was flipping through all these pages and it really is inspired um very stuff it's really good stuff conan battling this ultraverse vampire was um very entertaining now the the pages i gotta be honest albert was really trying to work me to get me to buy some of these pages but man they were a little too pricey for my blood. Um, I have to I have to save all my money for John Byrne X Men pages, so I can't be partying. <laughs> I can't be spending it on Rune Conan. But man, they were nice. They were really nice pages. um So anyway, th- th- this this is all about Rune. The next kind of couple columns, and then he talks about the Valiant area because because after Marvel, Barry Windsor Smith did uh, did do a a, a, pl- a lot of work covers and and um, promotional work posters. Uh, he did the cover to Bloodshot. He he did um you know. Uh, solar man of the atom he did a bunch of the covers for the early valiant stuff and helped launch something like bloodshot was really launched with his cover image but then he would do a series called archer and armstrong which was about basically two immortals kind of wandering through the modern day it was like you know two greek gods kind of slumming through modern day life he talked about how he got um he got the call to be with Valiant, and he said, Jim Jim Shooter, of course, was starting Valiant, and because of Jim's less than endearing past with so much, in, so many people in the professional community at the time, uh, he simply couldn't get any top names to come with him. This is me reading directly from Barry Windsor Smith. I was just finishing up Weapon X, and Bob Layton, uh, who's a friend of mine, inveigled me, he says, and in quotes, inveigled me. There were plenty of times in the first year of my doing Solar with Shooter and Bob Layton, and... Bob took me aside and said, I, I deeply apologize for getting you into this. It was a rocky road with Jim Shooter starting out. Then to cut to the quick of it, Shooter was fired. And again, I found myself pulled in something that I could really have done without. So I took over writing Ar- Archer and Armstrong and a whole lot of other stuff and produced some really great books for Valiant. And he did. I These are great. Look, Barry's art is a cut above. It's special. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's every positive adjective that I could possibly. He, he is a trendsetter. I believe he, he, he has penciled one of the greatest Life, Death, which is an X- X-Men issue with Storm and Forge and Terry Austin, inked It stands as one of the top three, top five comics ever illustrated. It may be the number one. It, it depends on the time of the day that I look at it, that I go, this is the best illustrated comic ever. I mean, he is, he is a seminal talent. And you could say entitled to being kind of um, smug. He says... Uh, he, 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 the guy tells him how much he enjoyed Archer and Armstrong. And he says, Thanks, man. I was really cracking myself up when I was, wh- cracking myself up when I was writing Archer and Armstrong. My method of working has always been just to let the characters tell the story. Uh, those two guys, uh, that, those two guys that I came up with were just so ridiculous as a couple that they couldn't just help be silly and funny. They could actually make, uh, they could actually, they would actually make me come up with things. That that I would laugh over. And I'd say to myself, yes, yes, I am being funny here. I'd realize that it was Armstrong that was being funny, and he had his own life uh as did Archer. So he's talking about the inspiration behind these two. He says uh later on, the question is at one point when Jim Shooter left, you were actually offered the presidency of Valiant. And he says, Yes. That was it on the face of the matter. When Shooter left the company, because uh a a man who's no longer with us, Steve Mazarski, Bob Layton, and, and a couple other guys at Valiant basically worked to get jim thrown out of the company i don't know what happened behind the scenes i've never asked i don't know but it was all the big headlines and uh you know everything jim had done was stuck to valiant it it, he did not it did not survive survive with him he had to leave it behind it was it was you know he had an executive position and a creative position and he was removed and so he says, yes, that was it on the face of the matter. When Shooter left, the idea was to recreate the company with Steve Mazarski, John Hartz, that's the other guy, Bob Layton, and myself as the controlling foursome. The word presidency was batted around. I spent over a year trying to negotiate my contract with Steve Mazarski. All the while, I was producing Archer and Armstrong, Eternal Warrior, teaching the kids up there how to color, how to letter, how to ink. I put an enormous amount of work and investment into that company, and it finally took a year for me to finally throw up my hands and say, this guy isn't really negotiating with me. It was a take it or leave it proposition from Steve Mazarski. I felt that in my integrity was put in jeopardy by associating myself with these people. They were using my good name to buffer the firing of Jim and to give credibility to the company. Uh, The interviewer says, well, if you're going to be president, you should actually have some power. And he says, precisely. When I started to ask questions about how the company was run, like, what's the financing situation? It was just, I was just given the runaround. Nothing made sense. All the numbers didn't add up. I still have no idea how the company is run because they wouldn't tell me or my accountant. I think I was treated very, very poorly by Valiant. He said, uh, did you come out of this with any sympathy and, re- and and respect for Shooter? He says, yes, I did have uh, empathy for Shooter and I gained in- important perspective. I, was, I always regretted that I went for the whole thing hook, line, and sinker. When Shooter was fired, Mazarski and Layton were all so dead set against him, saying that he was ruining the company, I just went along with him. I never even gave Jim Shooter the courtesy of a phone call. I just perceived him as the enemy, suddenly. There had been two camps created overnight, and I was in this sort of chummy camp with Mazarski and Layton, and there was this guy left out in the middle of the field somewhere with no bullets in his gun. I should have called Jim to get the other side of the coin, but I just fell for the whole damn thing. I have to admit it. I was pretty naive. Uh, Not to hold a halo over Jim Shooter's head or anything, I'd been told on more than one occasion while i was doing solar that shooter wanted to fire me because i wasn't following his story i never followed anybody's stories i tell my own stories but this is what i was told and i said oh that jerk he pretends to be my friend and wants to get me fired i don't know what's true and what isn't to be honest with you i listen to this side i listen to that have you talked to jim shooter since no <laughs> again the question is have you talked to jim shooter since no i haven't during negotiations with mazarski it was suggested to me that i could possibly get some insight into the questions that i've been left and that had been left and unanswered by Mazarski, if I spoke with Jim Shooter, and there was a possibility that could that could have happened, but I felt wholly uncomfortable calling Jim on my own behalf when I had completely ignored him at the time that he was fired. It seemed improper. This is very decent of Barry and and, and this is really, really fun to watch. They then talk about his early career, and he talks about how he got his um he, he had he had, he was doing Kirby-esque drawings. He said I sent over all sorts of drawings to Marvel, Kirby-esque kinds of pages. Uh, And I got a letter back from Marvel saying, uh, good on you. Uh, You're in England and we're here in the States. Uh, Tough luck. So he moved and showed up in New York York City. And uh, they sort of toyed with giving me work. They needed that look. They needed that Jack Kirby look that I was capable of giving. Uh, It's pretty much the same story nowadays. Young talent will go into Marvel or DC or wherever, and they really can't draw very well. But they have a knack for making their work look like a hero, Um, which is at this point, somebody like a Jim Lee, or someone like that, <clears throat> that young artist will then get work, even though he's not that good. One must always give chance to younger artists and writers if they show any kind of innate understanding of what the field is all about. It said, what's your first published work? I did X-Men fifty uh, number 53. Jim Steranko had taken over for Warner Roth, and Steranko could never hit his deadlines. Warner Roth, while very competent as a cartoonist, wasn't turning anybody on uh I think they figured there wasn't much to lose with the X Men because it was about to get canceled anyway. That isn't that funny that that is the long running joke with the X Men that it was always in danger of getting cancellation and it, it was it, even after a brief surge with Giants as X Men because they couldn't hit the deadlines. That's when Byrne came in to cover for Cochrane and then it just all changed. But they were going to cancel X Men anyway. And again, that's my situation on New Mutants. They were going to cancel it anyway. Like have at it. um I got a script from Arnold Drake, but I did my own story. I got it pretty I got it done pretty fast, a couple of pages a day, sitting in some grungy hotel room on 26th Street, with all this alien life going on around me, policemen's guns, riots. I don't I didn't really realize that was a necessity. I was too I was too new in the business, but I had needed to make this good. I didn't want to go back to England. He then talks about all the different jobs he got. He he is admitting here that he was hired on Conan because uh they couldn't spend the money on Jombi Semma. And uh that, that Roy Thomas had been trying to get the rights uh, to Conan and he wanted John Semma, but Stan, who had no concept of sword and sorcery, these are Barry's words, didn't like the idea of Conan, a licensed property, mucking with his Marvel Universe output. And uh, the way Roy wrangled this all was saying if the book fails, at least we won't lose any money if he hired somebody on the cheap. And he said uh, they would have lost money if they had to pay John Semma as he was the highest paid artist in comic books at the time i got the job because i was cheap then says didn't this make you a hot artist he says blimey so it did i was one of the very first superstar guys now wrapping this up because the good stuff is, is yet to come is when he talks about doing his seminal uh wolverine weapon x saga that was printed in eight page increments in the pages of marvel comics presents marvel comics presents was coming out every other week so like twice monthly every other week it was routine boom 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 this was a Really transformative storyline the middle of uh, you know se- several years into Marvel Comics presents this gave it just an extra juice. Marvel Comics presents launched with Wolverine as, as its lead feature, and based on the response to that, Wolverine got his own spinoff book, and it was launched with John b semi at the forefront doing this every other week Wolverine strip that Marvel Comics presents. It, it, it's what put them on the map, and so now you've got Barry Windsor Smith coming back doing the origin of Wolverine. Uh <clears throat> they said, uh, "What led up to your doing Weapon X?" He said, "I needed to give. I needed to give uh, into in this need to tell stories. I think Weapon X only came about because the editor Terry Kavanaugh, who I worked with, Terry is a sweet guy. Terry is a, is a talented guy. He wrote comics as well as editing them for Marvel. Call me up. Actually, he was calling everyone he could think of, artists and writers who obviously didn't want to do a monthly book." He pitched me this book called Marvel Comics Presents, which frankly was described to me as a wholly different thing from what it turned out to be. And here's where the ego rages. He was throwing names like Steve Ditko, Gene Cole, and all these luminaries from the past and thought, and and I thought, this is Barry speaking, wow, this is going to be a great showcase of brilliant storytelling and great art. Of course, it didn't turn out to be like that at all. It was amateur night at Marvel Comics. I was just fiddling around trying to think of some character in the Marvel Universe who didn't wholly offend me. I thought of Logan as sort of an everyman type. Now I want to go back to Amateur Night at Marvel Comics. It launched with John Buscema at the helm with a Wolverine book that made everybody stand on its head. It followed with a really hot uh, storyline uh, by Ron Lim, again doing 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 an X Men character along the way. It did have guys like Steve Ditko. It did have guys like Eric Larson. It did have guys like Rob Liefeld. Okay, and we did some work that I'm really proud of, and and Jim Valentino. I think besides Todd, all of the image luminaries at least did covers or tri- contributed something along the way. And there were some really fun, great uh, works that came out of Marvel Comics. Print. Sam Keith did, to me, as important a Wolverine comic as there has ever been in the pages of Marvel Comics Presents. Marvel Comics Presents was a top seller because there was top talent. But here is <laughs> Barry Windsor Smith saying it was amateur night. Marvel Comics, which is basically his way of saying, you know, I'm going to swoop in and save it. He said that um, perhaps he could do something uh, with with Wolverine because he loved the spikes coming out of his hands. He said he employed a non-linear approach to the script. He said, uh, you know, it was going to run in these small increments. And uh, he pitched that he would be telling the origin of of, uh, of Wolverine and and when he pitched the story of Wolverine in his own words he said how, these are his words how the story of Weapon X evolved was ironically enough Chris Claremont was upset that I was going to do this thing and told me that he had all along an origin for Wolverine now if you read a lot of the interviews that they had been doing up until this point for like 10 years both Chris Claremont and uh, John Byrne and even Len Wein who who wrote a, Wolverine's original appearance as one of his creators uh, all told you that they had ideas for origins for Wolverine, but they didn't want to tell you they wanted to hold on to like a, good, a good soap opera uh, mystery. They wanted to keep, you know, teasing you, teasing you, without completely re- revealing it as far as, as, as long as they could. John Byrne openly talked about, the first one who talked about that Wolverine was around in the wild, wild west, that Sabretooth was possibly his dad, that they lived on top of the highest mountain in Canada, that they would come down, they would roam, they would hunt. Um, eventually he was found you know by the Hudsons and brought into the Weapon X program. So these stories had been around. they hadn't been illustrated or they hadn't been clearly told as yet and and yet you know Chris didn't pull the trigger on it so I guess Marvel felt okay letting Barry go all in and we're all fortunate that he did. But he said Chris was really upset saying that he had this origin story for Wolverine all along. Barry says, well, why didn't you tell it? And I guess he had been too busy doing other things. So even though I decided to, um, you know, do my story the way I wanted, I certainly felt that I could pay Chris some respect. Um, So so anyway, it says, obviously, we know this, that uh, the response to this was huge. Barry Windsor Smith's Weapon X went on to, in eight-page increments every other week, absolutely entertain, entice and excite a comic book community that was hungry for his version of Wolverine. His version of Wolverine was immediately adopted by your podcaster right here, Rob Liefeld, by Jim Lee, by Mark Silvestri, by everybody. The way that uh, Barry Barry winged out his his uh, his hair, Byrne had kind of established the high, pointy tips. And yes, it looked like Dave Cockrum's version of Timberwolf, Wolf, which Dave Cockrum had put put over and, and, and portrayed Logan behind the mask for the very first time. But Byrne had kind of refined that look. Barry Windsor Smith kind of spread it out, made it thicker, longer, almost like long hair, much longer than we had been used to. Mark adopted it. I adopted it. Jim adopted it. We all ran with it. Barry was a—remains, because he is still alive. He is still with us. Uh, A seminal talent, amazing, um, um, just amazing illustrator, storyteller, uh, one of the all-time greats. But these interviews are so rich, because, you know, Warner Roth got a little pop in there. Marvel Comics Presents, Amateur Night. Not true, but according to him, it was— Um, you know, at least admitting to the fact that he gave Jim Shooter the short shrift and didn't really give him the time of day. And then ultimately the same thing happened to him. Life lessons. Now, again, the 1997 version of Barry Windsor Smith that we did in the earlier feud is even more aggressive. And maybe it's because of all the letdowns, but I think it's hilarious that he says at the beginning of this, he's not going to do work for hire. And yet here he is doing work for hire. The rune stuff is good. Check it out. There is no Barry Windsor Smith that you should not check out and that you should not look look for and, and and study. He's that brilliant, but he is a man at odds with himself. He contradicts himself within his own interviews. It's hilarious because of the bluster, because of the, the arrogance. That two-part, the first view that I did clearly outlines um, his contempt for John Buscema, for Jack Kirby, for Don Heck, for Rob Liefeld, for Jim Lee, for Todd McFarlane. He is not a happy guy during that interview. I don't know what side of the bed he woke up on during that interview. Um, that, that, that original feud episode that aired a couple months back, you can go back and find it in the, uh, in the archives of this podcast, but he, uh, he certainly is working his way up in this interview. You can see he's working his way up. He's... (laughs) He's getting comfortable insulting uh, pretty much anyone and everyone that he works with. And when they're like, hey, didn't Chris Ulm create that guy? Yeah, but I'm putting my own spin on it. And I love when he says, I, I always tell my own stories. I love that about him. It's, it's, it's a breath of fresh air. Had to share this with you. When Barry Windsor Smith interviews emerge in my short box, I commit to sharing them with you. You guys... Thank you so much. Uh, We, again, went a little long. When you send your reviews in for this uh, podcast, I read them at the end of each and every episode. But today, I have gone too far. I got to do too many more promos, too many more plugs. Here it comes. There will be a new Rob Liefeld uh podcast that is going to be going on and off with this Robservations. observations it can launch as early as the very next episode it will be called Rob Casting something like that we're still finalizing it please look for it it's a completely different approach to what we're doing now it isolates a body of work and really goes all uh, goes goes deep in uh, into the autopsy of, of the work it may even be called the Robtopsy. we just don't know yet we're going to bring it to you as soon as we possibly can i've already booked a couple of episodes look for that when it goes live i am all over social media i'm on twitter i am at robert liefeld look for me at robert Lifeld. the full name i have a blue check that's a form of just identification and verification. But I love talking to you. I love your messages, your, your, your inputs, your DMS, all the different replies. Thank you for following me. If you are in fact following me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld on Instagram, I'm giving you my photo dump of my life, my drawings, the food that I'm eating, um, um, the, 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 stuff that my kids are doing, my wife, my, myself, wherever we're traveling. It is my Instagram photo dump library, uh, of my life. My, 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 my visual diary. Um, and, and if you want to follow me over there, I am at Rob Liefeld, another blue check. Look forward to seeing you at Rob Leifeld on Instagram. Uh, again, the blue check is just a verification process. It doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else. It just says that's the real me because there are impersonators over on Facebook i have a group called rob Liefeld marvel extreme and beyond join us over there it's where the conversation continues we share comics ideas we talk about this podcast i would love to see you over there either myself or an administrator named terry sala this is how you know it's the right place sala s-a-l-a we'll click you through once you submit to join the group we'll get you through you can be part of the group rob Liefeld marvel extreme and beyond i will look for you over there there is an app it's called whatnot it is the hottest collectible selling app on the market, you should jump in and follow me over there on Rob Liefeld. I offer uh, and share signed comics, signed artwork, original artwork, Funko Pops, toys, uh, there's a million windows you can if you get bored with what I'm, I'm I'm sharing with you go over there's silver age golden age modern age slabs comics and other different rooms there's so many different retailers and vendors selling there is watches Rolexes there's sports sneakers jerseys there's playable uh, card games Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh there's the collectible card games all of it all of it under one app called whatnot follow me Rob Liefeld I, I generally do two shows a week if you follow me You'll get notified when I'm about to go live. I generally do it about 24 hours in advance, so it gives you plenty of time to jump on. Again, I do custom uh, remarks, signatures. Uh, You'll find out what a chisel is, what a blood splatter chisel, what a drop shadow chisel. If your head is spinning, join me over on whatnot, and I I will happily share this with you. At the end of every show, I encourage you to take a break, find an escape with a comic book, with a book, with a movie, with a show uh pair it with some great food that's what i do and i mean great food i mean the food that's bad the, the 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 really caloric stuff not the diet food make sure it's you know a lot of sugar uh, a lot of salt that's what i prefer um with extra ketchup come on uh uh join with me hamburgers tacos pasta pizza you know you get the drill you've talked about it get, get that get those reese's big cups get those snickers bars with almonds with nuts whatever that's what i do makes me feel better <laughs> Makes me feel like the grind is working, is, is worth it. And it is worth it. But if you need some time off, this world is crazy. It, the world is absolutely crazy. It's, it's, it's crazier than it's ever been. I've been here 55 years. I've seen enough to know that I have seen too much. But I want you to know, kick back on that recliner, click play, watch the new season of Mandalorian, watch Last of Us, watch whatever streaming show, read a comic book, read a great comic book, read a bunch of great comics, a graphic novel. Look at an art book. Read a regular book. Read Steinbeck. I don't care. Just kick back and get some relaxation and and get inspired by art and by by getting inspired by art and great sugary, greasy foods. you, you You will have achieved some sort of nirvana and that is my wish for you. I am rooting for you. I hope that you are doing great. I hope that you continue to do great. Remember, uh, there, there, there is sunshine just around every corner. You got, you got to search for it. You can't just sit down and let, and, and and think it's going to come to you. Go find it and get your fuel and make that journey. I am going to be here. Hope, hope you circle back and see me the very next time. You know the drill. We will absolutely, inevitably talk again real soon.